Section 17 of 93 by Victor Hugo, translated by Aline Delano. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1, Book 4, Chapter 4, The Caimande. The Marquis de Lantenac, henceforth we shall call him by his name, replied gravely. Very well, then deliver me up. The man continued. We are both at home here, you in the castle, I in the bushes. Let us put an end to this. Do what you have to do. Deliver me to the authorities, said the Marquis. The man went on. You are going to the farm, Herr Bonpile, were you not? Yes. Don't go there. Why not? Because the blues are there. How long have they been there? These three days past. Did the inhabitants of the farm and village resist? No, they opened all the doors. Ah, said the Marquis. The man indicated with his finger the roof of the farm, which was visible in the distance above the trees. Do you see that roof, Marquis? Yes. Do you see what there is above it? Something waving. Yes. It is a flag. The tricolor, said the man. It was the object that had attracted the attention of the Marquis when he stood on the top of the dune. Isn't the tocsin ringing? inquired the Marquis. Yes. On what account? Evidently on yours. But one cannot hear it. The wind prevents it from being heard. The man continued. Did you see that notice about yourself? Yes. They are searching for you. Then, glancing towards the farm, he added, They have a demi-battalion over there. Of Republicans? Of Parisians. Well, said the Marquis, let us go on. And he made a step in the direction of the farm. The man seized him by the arm. Don't go there. Where would you have me go? With me. The Marquis looked at the beggar. Listen to me, Marquis. My home is not a fine one, but it is safe. A hut lower than a cellar, seaweed for a floor, and for a ceiling a roof of branches and of grass. Come, they would shoot you at the farm, and at my house you will have a chance to sleep. You must be weary. Tomorrow the blues start out again, and you can go where you choose. The Marquis studied the man. On which side are you, then? asked the Marquis. Are you a royalist or a republican? I am a beggar. Neither royalist nor republican? I believe not. Are you for or against the king? I have no time for that sort of thing. What do you think of what is transpiring? I think that I have not enough to live on. Yet you come to my aid. I knew that you were outlawed. What is this law, then, that one can be outside of it? I do not understand. Am I inside the law or outside of it? I have no idea. Does dying of hunger mean being inside the law? How long have you been dying of hunger? 
all my life. And you propose to save me? Yes. Why? Because I said to myself, there is a man who is poorer than I, for he has not even the right to breathe. True, and so you mean to save me? Certainly. Now we are brothers, my lord, beggars both, I for bread and you for life. But do you know there is a price set on my head? Yes. How did you know it? I have read the notice. Then you can read. Yes, and write also. Did you think I was like the beasts of the field? But since you can read and have seen the notice, you must know that he who delivers me up will receive 60,000 francs. I know it. Not in Azignats. Yes, I know. In gold. You realize that 60,000 francs is a fortune? Yes. And that the man who arrests me will make his fortune? Yes. And what then? His fortune. That is exactly what I thought. When I saw you, I said to myself, to think that whoever arrests this man will earn 60,000 francs and make his fortune. Let us make haste to hide him. The Marquis followed the beggar. They entered a thicket. There was the beggar's den, a sort of chamber in which a large and ancient oak had allowed the man to take up his abode. It was hollowed out under its roots, and covered with its branches. Dark, low, hidden, actually invisible, and in it there was room for two. I foresaw that I might have a guest, said the beggar. This kind of subterranean lodging, less rare in Brittany than one might imagine, is called a carnichot. The same name is also given to hiding places built in thick walls. The place was furnished with a few jugs, a bed of straw or seaweed, washed and dried, a coarse cursy blanket, and a few tallow dips, together with a flint and steel, and twigs of furs to be used as matches. They stooped, crawling for a moment, and penetrated into a chamber divided by the thick roots of the tree into fantastic compartments, and seated themselves on the heap of dry seaweed that served as a bed. The space between the two roots through which they had entered, and which served as a door, admitted a certain amount of light. Night had fallen, but the human eye adapts itself to the change of light, and even in the darkness it sometimes seems as if the daylight lingered still. The reflection of a moonbeam illumined the entrance. In the corner was a jug of water, a loaf of buckwheat bread, and some chestnuts. Let us sup, said the beggar. They divided the chestnuts. The Marquis gave his bit of hardtack. They ate of the same black loaf, and drank in turn out of the same jug of water, meanwhile conversing. The Marquis questioned the man. So it is all one to you, whatever happens? Pretty much. It is for you, our lords, to look out for that sort of business. But then what is going on now, for instance? It is all going on over my head, the beggar added. Besides, there are things happening still higher. The sun rises, the moon waxes and wanes. That is the kind of thing that interests me. He took a swallow from the jug and said, Good fresh water. Then he continued, How do you like this water, my lord? What is your name? asked the Marquis. My name is Telmarch, but they call me the Caiman. 
I understand. Gaimond is a local word. Which means beggar. I am also called Livia. He went on. I have been called Livia for forty years. Forty years? But you must have been young then. I was never young. You are young still, Marquis. You have the legs of a man of twenty. You can climb the great dune, while I can hardly walk. A quarter of a mile tires me out. Yet we are of the same age. But the rich have an advantage over us. They eat every day. Eating keeps up one's strength. After a silence, the beggar went on. Wealth and poverty, there's the mischief. It seems to me that that is the cause of all these catastrophes. The poor want to be rich, and the rich do not want to become poor. I think that is at the bottom of it all. But I do not trouble myself about such matters. Let come what may, I am neither for the creditor nor for the debtor. I know that there is a debt and somebody is paying it, that is all. I would rather they had not killed the king, and yet I hardly know why. And then one says to me, Think how they used to hang people for nothing at all. Think of it. For a miserable shot fired at one of the king's deer, I once saw a man hung. He had a wife and seven children. There is something to be said on both sides. He was silent again, then resumed. Of course, you understand. I do not pretend to know just how matters stand. Men go to and fro, changes take place, while I live beneath the stars. Again Telmarch became thoughtful, then went on. I know something of bone-setting and medicine. I am familiar with herbs and the use of plants. The peasants see me preoccupied for no apparent reason, and so I pass for a wizard. Because I dream, they think that I am wise. Do you belong to the neighborhood? asked the Marquis. I have never left it. Do you know me? Certainly. The last time I saw you, you were passing through this part of the country on your way to England. That was two years ago. Just now I saw a man on the top of the dune, a tall man. Tall men are not common hereabouts. Brittany is a country of short men. I looked more closely. I had read the notice, and I said to myself, See, here! And when you came down, the moon was up, and I recognized you. But I do not know you. You have looked at me, but you never saw me. And Telmarch the Caimand added, I saw you. The passerby and the beggar look with different eyes. Have I ever met you before? Often, for I am your beggar. I used to beg on the road below your castle. Sometimes you gave me alms. He who gives takes no notice, but he who receives looks anxiously and observes well. A beggar is a born spy. But though I am often sad, I try not to be a malicious spy. I used to hold out my hand, and you saw nothing but that into which you threw the alms that I needed in the morning to keep me from dying of hunger at night. Frequently I went twenty-four hours without food. Sometimes a penny means life itself. I am paying you now for the life I owe you. True, you are saving my life. Yes, I am saving your life, Monseigneur. 
The voice of Telmarch grew solemn. On one condition. What is that? That you have not come here to do harm. I have come here to do good. Let us sleep, said the beggar. They lay down side by side on the bed of seaweed. The beggar dropped to sleep at once. The Marquis, although much fatigued, remained awake for some time, thinking and watching his companion in the darkness. Finally he lay back. Lying upon the bed was equivalent to lying on the earth, and he took advantage of this to put his ear to the ground and listen. He could hear a hollow subterranean rumbling. It is a fact that sound is transmitted into the bowels of the earth. He could hear the ringing of the bells. The tocsin continued. The Marquis fell asleep. End of section 17